With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com insights. Welcome to the Real Trending Podcast, where your host, Tracy Velt, Managing Editor of Real Trends, interviews the brightest minds in real estate. Each week, brokerage leaders, top agents, team leaders, and industry experts share their success secrets, trends, and lessons learned navigating this ever-changing industry. For more insightful interviews with real estate executives, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. Today, I'm talking to Steve Murray. He's the one who crunched the numbers on the 2021 Real Trends team study. We put out a survey to 2,000 top teams in the country based on the Real Trends America's Best Real Estate Professionals rankings. And we ended up with some very interesting information um, on their financials, as well as some of their benchmarks for production. And I know that brokerage firms have kind of decided either they're going to stick with teams or they're going to move away with teams. And for the brokerage leaders who are still not sure where to go, I think this team study will offer you some really great insight into the business opportunities in terms of value to real estate agents and a benchmark for teams to gauge their performance and for brokers to kind of determine what type of services they can offer their agents. So sit back and enjoy part one. Um, Part two will focus on the valuation of teams and what we're seeing as far as trends in team valuation. This is Tracy Velt, Editorial Director for Real Trends. Today, you'll be listening to an exclusive interview with Steve Murray. He's a Senior Advisor for Housing Wire and Real Trends, and also a partner in RTC Consulting, a consulting firm that works with real estate brokerages and teams on business valuations, mergers, and acquisitions. Today, we're going to talk about some insights that we gathered from the 2021 Real Trends team study that we just put together. You'll be really interested to hear some of the great things that came out of it, and it answers two huge brokerage questions, and that is, are teams profitable? And are they productive? And I think you're going to be very interested in the outcome. So welcome, Steve. Hey, Tracy. How are you? Good. So I want to talk about the um, team study that we recently did. You were the one crunching the numbers, and you uncovered some interesting information about teams. So just why don't you give our audience a little bit of information about the study and some of the maybe more interesting insights to start? So. We went out to about uh, 1,500 to 2,000 of the top teams in the country based on the uh, HW Media Real Trends rankings from calendar year 2020. And we basically asked them for some basic um, segment uh, financial information, uh, how many employees they had, how many uh, realtors they have transactions they did, sales volume, gross commissions, but most importantly, 
kind of their internal metrics, how much they paid their inside agents, how much they spent on advertising, salaries, and so on and so forth. And we were fortunate. We got uh, approximately 108 usable surveys back from all over the country and from companies as large as over 30 million in gross commission income to as small as a million dollars. So we had a full range of teams. And, you know, the good news is it was also fairly equally distributed across the regions of the country. So that was kind of what we did. And we we did that uh, from uh, roughly uh, mid-August to mid-September is when we went out into the field to collect this information. You know, I'm looking at, it depends on how we calculate the numbers, but the average size of these teams was a little over, almost 3.7 million in gross commission income. So probably you start there and you go, okay, then how did they do? Well, interesting enough, um, on, on gross revenues, you know, profit, versus gross revenue, their margin was very nearly 25%. Okay, now to contrast that with the brokers, and we collect financial information on give or take 300 brokerage companies a year, typical brokerage company in the US, the profit margin on gross revenues is like 5% or 4%. It's in that range. So the teams are just a lot more profitable than brokerage companies. And, and we, we kind of suspected that, but now we kind of have it confirmed. And, and, and the productivity numbers are far better. I mean, in terms of transactions per agent, transactions per employee, I mean, they're just a lot better. I mean, for instance, you know, we show of all these teams, they did about 21 transactions per agent in this group. The national average is about seven or for the brokerage industry. Yeah. You know, they did 6.4 million in sales per agent. And I don't have the number right in front of me, but I think the national average among the real trends 500, for instance, would be half of that. Okay. The, the, you know, the, the gross, all the other factors are just, it's, they're more productive. And, and, and we suspected that. So I want to talk about that team profitability versus brokerage. Um, what, tell me some of the, the specifics and why you think, um, or, you know, why, what the data says about why teams are more profitable than brokerages. Well, it goes to the fundamental nature of a brokerage versus a team. Um, a brokerage company, for the most part, the brokerage recruits agents, develops those agent talents and skills and supports them, and then kind of says, go get customers, go get clients, get transactions done and get them closed. There, you know, you do that. We'll provide technology, marketing, coaching, mentoring, uh, training but you go find your clients and customers. If you really talk about the fundamental difference, that's it, right? A team usually has been formed from all the interviews and research we've done, more qualitative work. A team is formed 
when a, 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 real, a good agent says, I've got A, more clients and customers than I can reasonably handle, or B, I want to build something a little more than a sole practitioner can build, and I will then find a way to generate more clients and customers and add buyers, agents, administrative people as I need to to grow. But you get down to the what's the fundamental difference? A team provides the client and customers for the agents. That's it. And a brokerage primarily does not provide that as part of their benefit. So how would you compare that to maybe like a salaried um, business model, like a Redfin or a better uh, real estate where they you know, are paying, a, they, they have the team concept, but they're paying salaried agents to be specialized. Yeah, due respect to Redfin and, and a few like them, uh, without sounding like I'm belittling them, I'm not. But Redfin is essentially a team concept writ large. I mean, it is. I mean, they generate the the preponderance of the business closed by Redfin agents who are salaried with bonus and incentives is really nothing more than a big team. They generate tremendous client and customer lead activity. They have systems for closing them, primarily using their inside agents. The same structure. The difference, you might say, since almost every team that we looked at in this study is currently more profitable than Redfin, is that Redfin, of course, they're obviously a much larger scale than these teams. I mean, the best from our own rankings, the two biggest, three biggest teams in the country uh, did over 5,000 transactions. Redfin probably this year will will do 90,000 plus or minus. So there's a difference of scale, and Redfin is is uh, is still investing enormous capital to enter new markets and grow their business and grow their footprint. The other big difference is Redfin. Well, they talk. It's funny. It's kind of a they talk about great service, and I'm sure they do provide great service, but they do it at a very big discount price. And these teams, for the best we can tell. There is no discounting going on by these teams to get clients and customers, which, of course, is a head scratcher when you say if Redfin's really good at generating clients and customers and touts how good their employee agents are, why do they need to discount their service? But that's a whole nother question for another day. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, so let's talk, let's dig a little bit deeper into the, yeah. the, you had said that, um, you know, you kind of guessed that teams would be more profitable. And, and based on a study we did several years ago with the California Association of Realtors, we found that to be true as well. Yes. Um, so what were some insights that you have about their profitability based on the newest uh, study? You know, Um, You know, the thing that occurs to me when I look at this aggregated data is just a little over half of the business on average of all these teams is or just under half is uh, is sphere of influence, past clients and customers, uh, referrals, et cetera. Right. And the rest is generated in some other manner. And they don't that we didn't ask those questions on this study, direct mail, social media, SEM, SEO, 
Zillow, Realtor.com, Nextdoor, all the various marketing channels that teams and agents use to market themselves and, and harvest customers. So when I look and I say, how much do these people spend of their corporate revenue on, for instance, marketing? Well, on average, they're just under 20% of every corporate dollar they generate is spent on advertising and marketing. A brokerage company, it's more like 3 or 4%. And most of that is probably either property-specific or institutional branding. Um, I mean, and I'm not criticizing all brokers. There are brokers that are doing SEM, SEO, social media to generate leads. And in fact, there's some that are starting to gain some traction doing that. But that's not the majority of brokerage companies that we study. On the other hand, where a typical broker will spend about one in five of their, about 20% of their corporate revenue on occupancy, teams are spending three. Yeah. Essentially nothing. Yeah. Right? And probably some of them are home office based. For, for all we know, totally remote. Another interesting thing is a typical brokerage company will spend um, 33, 34% of corporate revenue on employment costs, managers, staff, marketing, tech people. The team, it's interesting. I mean, they're, it's not like they're spending nothing. They're spending, again, about a little bit, the numbers say 22% is being spent on employment. So they're not under-investing in staff support. In fact, you could say that they're actually over-investing a little bit, which is why they have a little bit higher productivity per full-time employee than a brokerage company would, typically. Um, so, you know, which leads to a profit margin, which we already talked about, which is far higher. They also, by the way, spend about 10 to 12 points less than the typical broker on general and administrative overhead. Again, they're smaller. You know, right. and they they may not have the need for all of the stuff, if you will, that a typical brokerage would have. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And the thing we've always questioned over the past five, 10 years as we watch teams emerge, um, can teams scale? Well, as I said a bit ago, when you really fundamentally look at Redfin, that's a big team structure. And they're going to do, you know, 80, 90,000 transactions. So the model itself does not appear to have any known limits. It's, the, it's really the limit of the skill of the owner and the ability to build a team that can scale. I mean, we now have three team, team brokerages we refer to them as. Uh, doing actually four, doing more than 5,000 transactions. And I'll, I'll promise you that, uh, you know, three to five years ago, there's not many who would have thought any team could get that big, but now they are. And there's dozens that are doing more than 1,000 transactions. Again, question mark three to five years ago, can, the, can they ever even get that big? So we're starting to see that the second big question is, well, can, does the market bear, is there enough talent that knows how to run a good team out there? And can the people sort it? Sure. Yeah. And there's, 
And in my mind, this is like asking the question, go back 40 years ago in the U.S., 1980, I don't think there were five to eight brokerage companies in the whole country doing 5,000 transactions. Yeah. Right now, it seems kind of quaint because we have all kinds of brokers doing 5,000 transactions. Yeah. So 10 years from now, could we see a couple dozen team type brokerage companies or teams within brokerage companies doing five or 10,000 transactions? Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. And, and the question I always get from people when we talk about team profitability is, well, why would you even bother running a brokerage? <laughs> so what what do you say now, to that? <laughs> now let's go step on a landmine, right? <laughs> no, I mean, if I, and, and people have asked me this question, if I just look at simply at the economics, right? And there are a number of other positive things about the team. But if I look at the economics of it, and I'm starting out today, I mean, economics tell me I should build a team. I mean, it's just just if I look at it from that point of view. Um, But, you know, again, you have to break it down and go, okay, we know from right our other research that you and I have worked on, two-thirds of all buyers and sellers use an agent because they know one or someone referred them. Well, that means a third of the market is kind of not attached. And that's where people doing social media, online, SEO, SEM, all that kind of marketing to to prospect for people to call them because a sphere of influence past clients and customers is kind of, I mean, it can grow, of course, assuming, of course, that the team stays in touch and does actually keep a relationship going. They're, for the most part, many of these teams are harvesting in that one third that's un- unassigned, if you will, or unaffiliated. Yeah. Well, but that's still a huge, that's a huge part of the market. If you, you know, I mean, if we say we're going to do 6 million home sales this year, 12 million transaction sides, a third of it, 4 million transaction sides are up for grabs. Well, yeah. okay. And if I look at Redfin and I say, well, that's where most of theirs comes from. Another way to look at their market share is what's their market share of that unassigned? Mm-hmm. You know, then it looks a little different if, you know, if I'm rounding it a little bit, say, well, Redfin does 100,000 transactions out of 4 million. Well, that gives them, what is that number? Two, what's 100,000 of 4 million? I think it's two and a half percent market share of the unassigned clients and customers. Okay, well, that, you know, that sounds a little better than less than 1% of all transactions. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I think these teams are going to, uh, the other interesting thing from our consulting position is we know of several private equity uh, organizations or organizations backed by private equity, side being one of them, fly homes being another, that are looking at the whole aspect of investing in teams, uh, acquiring you know minority or majority interests in teams to build a national network up, or affiliating with them, or all the various kinds of, of alignment with teams as they're thinking this is how we want to build a national footprint. Yeah. Um, I mean, I looked at it yesterday, and if I look at the 2020 uh, team rankings, 
And if I'm not mistaken, with take, taking out duplicates, let's let's say roughly we had 7,000 teams that we ranked last year. They did as many trends. This is 7,000 teams did as much business as either Remax or Keller Williams with their national networks of 65 to 160,000 agents in the U.S. Wow. Yeah. 7,000 of them. Yeah. 7,000 biggest teams did almost roughly the same amount of business as Remax with 64,000 agents in the U.S. and Keller Williams with 165,000 agents in the U.S. last year. Yeah. That's kind of, you go, they do have quite a presence in our industry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and um, I know that several teams have moved to brokerages. I know Anthony Lamacchia is one of them. He's one of our game changers. Um, and, you know, he talked about the the transition was rough for a little while, um, but he's figured out the way to succeed. And so what what helps these teams who become brokerage and maybe their team brokerages um, succeed in the in the brokerage space? Well, I mean, I have, uh, in addition to Anthony, I have, for instance, two other clients right now who started as teams, and now they're growing into more of a hybrid, mm-hmm. okay? But really what they are is a brokerage company that just happens to provide 30 to 50% of all the business closed within their brokerage. Yeah. Now they'll have, they have one commission plan for people who do their own clients and customers, and they have a different commission plan if the company provided the client or customer. And it makes perfect sense. And, and that's not new at all. Right. I mean, 45 years ago when I entered the industry and, and through being employed in the relocation management industry, you know, uh, relocation companies were charging 25, 30% referral fees. The broker was charging that internally and eagerly seeking the business, right? Back then, everybody wanted Merrill Lynch relocation, home equity relocation, call a banker, some of the leaders of the equitable relocation. Everybody loved that business. Even though they had to pay a referral fee on it, it was good, steady, high-quality uh, customers. So you have brokers that are now saying, well, we're, we're going to expand outside where we are 100% of all the business generation. We're going to become, maybe we'll end up with only 30 or 40% of the business that our brokerage does is generated by the company. That way we can scale faster and we can still be well above average profitability. Yeah. Now, to point this out, one of one at least one leading company in our industry, Realty Austin, has been doing this for ten years. I mean, they generate a large share of the business within Realty Austin, but have had a brokerage company that pays market rate uh, commission plans in Austin and now San Antonio uh, to agents who are doing their own business. So, I mean, truly, it's it's a forty year old business notion. Right. But that's that's what they're doing. The question becomes, and we do some consulting for some of these folks, is you have to ask again, reiterate to them what what's your goal here? What are you trying to achieve? Just get bigger? Right. 
okay, if, if your goals just get bigger, you can get bigger. Your margins are going to shrink. I mean, they will. Yeah. Uh, because once you have more of a traditional brokerage economics going on in your company, then of course your average, your 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 cost of commissions will go up. Your cost of employment will go up. Your margins will necessarily shrink. It just depends. That's that trade-off between size and margins. Right. Right. And, um, you know, even with margin compression, brokers have found ways to adapt to it. Um, So, you know, I guess that gets back to why would you want to run a a brokerage? Well, you have a lot of opportunity there to, you know, produce other services that increase your bottom line as well. Well, I mean, again, when I of all the clients we work with, and many of them are medium to large firms that have mortgage, title, escrow, other things. Ah, now if we bring those into the picture, then they're as profitable in many regards as some of the best teams are. Right. Right. So, I mean, it, it, again, but but you have to get scale to make mortgage and title and or escrow or property casualty work. You have to have scale. And really, there's only a couple dozen teams, and I'm probably overstating it, that have the scale. To where they can actually be in those businesses effectively. Yeah. So a team is more profitable on the pure brokerage business, but because of their general size, they don't have they don't have the scale to really participate fully in what we call core related services. Yeah. And brokerage companies, as they get to you know, 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 transaction sides and a half a billion to a billion or more in volume. Now they have the scale to be the other businesses. And if they do it even average well, they can be as profitable as a team can be. Right. Um, So let's talk about, you know, we, you and I have both been to brokerages that I don't want to deal with teams or don't really understand how to provide value to teams. So what are some suggestions you have for brokers who are either struggling with bringing more teams on or struggling with keeping the teams that they do have happy and providing them value? Okay, so the first thing to note is we, as you know, you we did this study. It's now about three years ago with California Realtor Association. And that study was pretty big. We had over 400 responses to it. Right. And we published this. And it's like, I wondered if anybody read it because we still get these questions, right? Right. So what I do, you know, but before I go there, let me say it's kind of an interesting. We look at our rankings. Mm-hmm. Right? There's the 7,000 plus of the biggest teams in the country, 95% of them are with a well-known local or national brokerage company. So it's not like they're running in droves to start their own companies. Right. There's no evidence of that, at least at this point. Okay, so there must be something there that keeps them associated, right? So in our California Realtors study, we asked questions, what 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 does the broker do that you consider valuable? And I'm from memory, number one was, a really well-known brand name is very helpful. Yeah. Whether it's local or regional or national, a, a well-known trusted brand name is useful. Oh, well, that's good. Um, 
legal and regulatory support. Yep, I remember that one. It was very, I mean, it was number one, actually. Yeah. Brand, the brand was number two. So, and then we asked a separate question, second question. So, well, what could the brokerage be doing more of that would create more value? And number one, again, was legal and regulatory affairs. Right. But interesting in that top three mix was business coaching. Yeah. Not sales coaching, but business coaching. Teams believe that their broker owner actually has some business acumen that the team could learn from. Yeah. But what we what we tell clients is, look, we are not against or for having teams. But every broker owner should ask themselves the question, do I want to be welcoming and supportive of teams or don't I want them? Do right. I or don't I? You have to make that. To, and then and, and, and why do I feel one way or the other? What, right. What's my reason for either not wanting them or wanting them? You and I know, I mean, right out here in Colorado, I have two very successful independent brokerage companies. They are different models, but they're very successful, large independent brokerage companies. Neither one wants teams. Mm-hmm. Now, they allow two people to partner, but that's it. Two people. Right. You ask them why. Culture. Culture. Yeah. And, and, and they're strong about it. I mean, they're yeah. not wishy-washy. No, we don't want large teams because we're building a company culture, not wanting to help grow eight teams that have their own cultures. Right. It's our culture. Okay. And they have forfeited growth. Mm-hmm. They have forfeited opportunities, but that's who they are. Okay. Then you have other companies we know. There are many brokers out there. They are very, very welcoming and supportive of teams. Mm-hmm. And they have achieved great success as well. But yeah. you need to make up your mind. You can't be, well, depends on what day of the week, whether I like teams or not. Right, right. Then you have to ask question why. And you have to understand what are some of the pros and cons and make sure you understand the economics. Yeah. Having a team, how much space, how much overhead, how much support services are they going to take for the return? But like I said, 95% of the teams we rank, they're still with a brokerage company that they're either a national brand or a company that we rank on the Real Trends 500 and Nation's Best. They're recognizable brands. And obviously, some brokers are doing well enough to be attractive to teams. Yeah. Definitely. I assume they'd go elsewhere. Yeah. And in, in part of your um, your comment about deciding, do you want teams or don't you want teams, it all really goes back to that um, segmentation of the market where, where there are, there's a business model for everyone and figuring out, you know, as a broker, knowing exactly what your um, your model is and what you're looking for is so important, specializing or, or having an idea of that so that when you're attracting talent, um, you can keep that within your culture and within your model and be smart about it to grow that way. Yeah, I mean, exactly, Tracy. You and I have talked about this a couple of times. It's, you know, we asked that question of, well, I'm starting to ask it of teams now, too. We're doing some consulting work with men, women, owned teams. And you go, what is it you're trying to accomplish? Right. Is it, are you trying to build something of equity value to sell? 
Are you building something to generate substantial incomes that you can use to finance your lifestyle and your investments? Or are you just doing it because you like to do it? Right. And of course, the answer always is, well, it's a little bit of all three. And our (laughs) answer back always is, I'm sure it is. But for you to be able to plan your company's future, you need to pick one that's the most important to you. The strategy and the tactics will follow. Um, I mean, I talked to a team the other day, a woman who owns a phenomenal team. My gosh, they're making, you know, they're making millions of dollars on a team. I mean, millions of dollars of pre-tax income. But the truth is, it doesn't have a lot of equity value because it's so associated so closely associated with, you know, that person that I made sure they understand this is the equity value, but look at your income value. Well, the income values of throwing off, say, $2 million a year pre-tax, forget what you pay in taxes, we all pay taxes. Well, except for, you know, Elon (laughs) Musk and other people like that. Right. Um, Jeff Bezos. Um, Where are you investing you know, are you investing it in stocks, bonds, gold, silver, Bitcoin, real estate, and building a portfolio where that will be your equity value? Right. It, it's external to the team. We're actually working to see how this particular owner can, over a period of time, pull back, turn over, still own the team get, you know, stops working 70 hours a week and work 30 hours a week and still generate as much of that income as possible while also getting to enjoy life a little bit. Right, right. Because I say again, to sell it, it's not likely to bring the kind of equity value that you go, oh yeah, that makes a great deal of sense. Yeah. Um, Because even brokerage companies, as many of the listeners know, even you sell a really good brokerage company, you're not getting all the equity value in cash at closing. You've got a three or four year earn out or longer attached to it. That means you got to stay in there and make sure it keeps running to get all your money out. Right. So, you know, it's uh, it comes down to what is what are you trying to accomplish for yourself? Is it right. equity? Is it income? Is it? Is it a combination of that and you really love doing what you do, building and running a team? And listen, that's that's an important factor. Shoot, if you're doing it just for the money and you hate what you do, my advice would be go find something else to do. Why are you doing that? Thanks, Steve. We really appreciate you sharing your insight on the 2021 Real Trends team study. I would like our audience to know that we have a part two coming up where we talk about the valuations of teams and some of the trends that Steve is seeing in the industry. So look for that next week. Thank you for listening to Real Trending. To stay up to date on the current trends in the industry, subscribe to our podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more.